This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. If you're ready to study God's Word together this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start by reading a, a short paragraph from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We read the passages just before this last week as Jesus gave us some specific instructions on how to pray. And now in verse 16, Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on spiritual disciplines, grace habits, grace-driven habits that encourage us and empower us in our pursuit of godliness. Now, it's probably safe to assume that few of us in this room have heard more than one or two sermons in our Christian walk on the topic of fasting. Um, fasting is not something that we talk a lot about in the Christian church, at least in the West. And some of us may not even know what fasting is. And so I'm just going to define it for us very simply as we get started. Fasting is basically abstaining from food for a specific purpose. And it may surprise you this morning, but fasting is not distinctly Christian. People fast for many different reasons, and we don't know the exact origins of the practice or where it started, but people have fasted for centuries for numerous different reasons. And we can think about life today on planet earth and people fast for many reasons but at least three we just talk about these for a little bit spiritually speaking people fast and it's not just a spiritual thing to do from a christian perspective muslims fast during ramadan our jewish neighbors fast on times like during times like yom kippur then there's the fasting of the hindu high caste of the brahmins and So people fast for spiritual reasons really across the board and across the globe. Other people fast for political purposes. One of the most famous examples of fasting for political protest was Mahatma Gandhi, who wielded fasting as a peaceful political weapon throughout his 30 years of pursuing Indian independence. And then there are those who fast for health reason. There are legitimate health reasons for fasting intermittently throughout life. And then uh, there's also fasting from other aspects of, of, of health. It seems like daily there's some new innovative food regimen, right? There's some new innovative diet. There's some new innovative food fast or juice fast that's going to induce weight loss, boost energy, cleanse your system while at the same time of taking 20 pounds off your body. All for the low price of $19.99, all major credit cards accepted, and there's a money-back guarantee. All of this is to illustrate that fasting isn't new. Fasting isn't novel. 
And fasting isn't distinctly Christian. But yet, we see the believers in the Old Testament fasting very regularly, and we see Jesus not getting rid of fasting, but actually commanding his followers to fast too. So what exactly does fasting mean in a Christian context? Why why does Jesus tell his disciples to fast? And what in the world does it mean for believers like you and me living in the 21st century to fast in our own Christian life? I think Donald Whitney is right when he says that fasting is the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. And perhaps you're there this morning. You don't know much about fasting. You're confused about what it means. You wonder if you even have what it takes to practice such a serious discipline in your own life. I mean, after all, practices like fasting spiritually Aren't those practices reserved for the elite Delta Force SEAL Team 6 Christians? Maybe I'll just settle for being an everyday spiritual civilian instead, right? Well, here's my goal today. My goal today is from the scriptures of Jesus, is to help us rightly understand what fasting is so that you might be better equipped to rightly practice fasting in your own life, to move you from a place of misunderstanding and confusion to a place of understanding and discipline. So we're going to look at Matthew 6 today, but we're also going to look at Matthew 9. If you would simply turn over in your Bible a couple of pages Jesus actually expounds even more on fasting and the importance theologically that it has for us, and it's going to be very instructive for us today as we go through our time together. So in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You see, in the first century world, The disciples of Jesus were not fasting. It was not a spiritual discipline that these guys were doing in Jesus' midst. But yet, other religious groups were fasting. And people were perplexed by it. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 15. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." From looking at Matthew 9 and also alluding back to Matthew 6 today, I want us to answer the question, how should Christ followers approach the discipline of fasting? What is it that makes Christian fasting Christian fasting? Gospel-centered fasting. I'm going to look at four things, that four principles that should inform our approach to fasting to make sure that we're not doing this 
from a wrong heart, from a wrong mindset, and that the spiritual discipline doesn't end up being completely useless in your spiritual life or in my spiritual life. Because if we're going to fast, don't we want fasting to be spiritually fruitful, spiritually productive in our lives? So let's see how we get there. So number one, here's the first thing we need to know in our approach to fasting from a Christian perspective. As a Christ follower, Jesus expects you to fast. This is not something that's relegated only to the special forces of Christianity. This isn't just for the maturest of the mature in Christian discipleship. Jesus expects all Christ followers to fast. Now, we see this back in Matthew 6. I want you to notice the language. In verse 16, he says, and when you fast. In verse 17, but when you fast. He says it twice there. Now, what's significant about that is in Matthew chapter 6, it's the exact same language he uses when Jesus talks about prayer, when he talks about giving. He says, when you pray. He says, when you give. And I would make a strong argument that 99.9% of us in this room would not argue with the fact that prayer is a distinct spiritual discipline that Christ followers are to regularly practice and that giving is a spiritual discipline that Christ followers are supposed to regularly practice. Jesus uses the exact same language at fasting as he does with both giving and prayer. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 9 and you look at verse 15, in the, in the latter part of verse 15, he says, after the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. He doesn't say Christians might fast. He doesn't say that disciples should fast. He says that disciples will fast. And so it's very clear from the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus expects you as a Christ follower to fast just as you pray, just as you give, just as you meditate on the scriptures, that fasting should be a part of your spiritual disciplined regimen. Now, regularity in fasting, now here's, an, here's a very key caveat that I want to make. Regularity in fasting is not the same as regularity in praying or Bible meditation, for example. It's pretty clear as we look at both Old Testament and New Testament that meditating on the scriptures is something that should be done daily or almost daily. Prayer is something that should be done daily or almost daily. But in the scriptures, when you look at the scriptures as a whole, fasting is one of those disciplines that is not necessarily daily. It may not even be weekly, but it is something that we regularly do for specific spiritual purposes and spiritual goals in our lives. In the scriptures, we see examples of fasts that last for an entire day. We see fasts that last for a part of a day. It might be for a meal in a particular day. We also see multiple day fasts. We see weekly fasts. We see fasts that go on for two weeks or three weeks. And we even see the more extreme fasts that go on for four weeks. And this is not something that every single Christian is supposed to do for all time. There's nowhere in scripture that mandates that everyone should do an extreme 40-day fast 
like Jesus did. It may not even be safe for you to do health-wise. And, and that's something that even, I, I want to say this, just kind of, I don't want to chase a rabbit with it, but I think it's very important to point out. If you do want to do a more prolonged fast, a fast that would last more than a couple of days, or a fast that would last for a week when it, when, from abstaining from food, or for two weeks, or for longer, you should never do that without consulting your physician. You should make sure that your health is in such a way that this is something that you can do without inflicting bodily harm upon yourself or, or risking your life. You're not going to be more spiritual or more loved by Jesus to show that you had enough faith or enough gumption to do that. That is something you should talk to your physician about. So fasting is something that Christians should do regularly in our lives but not necessarily something that is mandated to do daily or even weekly in our lives. This is something that should be spontaneous. It could be something that is, that is planned. It's predetermined. You're setting out goals for yourself during that fast. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the practical nature of this a little bit later in our time. But just suffice it to say in our first point here that the scriptures show us that as Christ followers, Jesus expects us to fast. Here's another principle that we learn about our approach to Christian fasting that we learn here from the text. The goal of fasting. The goal of fasting. This is so important because there are those who have simply set out to miss a meal or to miss a day or two meal and they'll get done with it that day and they'll say, well, nothing happened. The only thing I feel, the only thing I've experienced now is intense hunger and I'm in a really bad mood and I'm not sure how that really helped anybody. Those around me, myself, and probably not Jesus either because my attitude was pretty crummy the whole way. You see, there's a goal to fasting and the goal is not simply to miss a meal and make yourself hungry. The goal of fasting is to grow your hunger for Jesus. The goal of Christian fasting is to grow your hunger for Jesus and the things of Jesus. Christian fasting is about so much more than food. The center of the discipline is not abstinence from meals. The center of the discipline is not simply about denying yourself some sort of pleasure in this life just for denying yourself the pleasure if it was just about food, then that would mean that food is bad, that God is good and food is bad. But God created food for human beings, and he wants us to enjoy it. Jesus himself, actually, in the scriptures, was criticized by the religious elite of his day because he ate and drank like any other common man. So it's not simply about food. And it's not simply about abstaining from food, just for abstinence only. In the text, Jesus gives us kind of an odd illustration. Look again at verse 14. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast, Jesus? And Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. Jesus says that there will be a time when his disciples will fast, but the time was not then. Why? Because Jesus was with them. 
Jesus was walking with them every day, they literally experienced the physical presence of Jesus, the physical, actual, relational good that came from having Jesus with them on a daily basis, so there was no need to fast. Now, what about that language of the bridegroom? What in the world is he doing there? Well, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 62, 5. God says this, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you, his children. Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, And I will betroth you to me forever, God said to his people. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, this is, this is only a very minuscule sampling of the scriptures we see in the Old Testament, where God relates to his people as the bridegroom chasing after his bride, whom he's going to care for and be faithful over, whom he's going to love, whom he's going to adore, whom he's going to nurture, and his people would have the responsibility to respond to him and follow his loving leadership and his loving nurture. And you fast forward to the New Testament here, what Jesus is ultimately doing is he's equating himself with God. This is another claim to Jesus' deity from his own lips. He's telling his hearers and he's telling us today that he himself is the fulfillment of the promises of God throughout the Old Testament. That he is the ultimate bridegroom, the ultimate bridegroom to which the Old Testament scriptures were pointing. But then more personally and more practically for you and for me, Jesus identifies himself as our bridegroom. The bridegroom who has come for us, who will nurture us, who will supply all of our needs. So Jesus' first century disciples couldn't fast for a bridegroom who was there physically present with them. Now, Jesus said, is not the time for fasting. But there will be a time when my people do fast, when my disciples do fast. And it's going to be after I leave them. Because here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to die. And then he's going to resurrect from the grave. And after resurrecting from the grave, he ascends back into heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. And when he leaves planet earth, when he leaves the disciples and his bodily physical presence is no longer with him, then Jesus says, the time is inaugurated when my disciples will fast. And that time continues today. And so if you want to bracket out human history for the Christian, for the Christ follower, the disciple of Jesus, the time for fasting is the time from his ascension to the time when he returns again to take us home. That's when we fast. We fast then because we no longer have him right in front of him. Christian fasting is ultimately about longing, hungering for the presence of Jesus. Now you may say, but Chris, we have the presence of Jesus, don't we? I mean, the Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation and we have his presence and spirit with us continually, no? Absolutely, 
we do. And so here's what I believe we can answer in response to that. Through his spirit, we experience the presence of Jesus in a real way. But through the spirit of Jesus, we do not experience the presence of Jesus in a complete way. And it's why we long for the day when we see Jesus face to face and we see him as he is and we are perfectly conformed to his image and we experience his perfect relational presence as we were originally meant to experience before the fall. And so when we, when we fast, here, here's what we're doing while we wait. We are setting aside intentional time. And during that intentional time, we abstain from the pleasures of this world for an hour, for a day, for a part of the day, for a week, or for longer in order to grow our hunger for Jesus. And not only growing our hunger for Jesus, but also safeguarding ourselves from hungering for the gifts of Jesus more than Jesus himself. So we don't fast just to fast. There's nothing supernatural. There is nothing super spiritual. There's no Christian growth that comes from simply abstaining from food or anything else for that matter just for the sake of abstaining. That that really at its heart is just asceticism. Denying the human body some pleasure or some comfort just for the sake of denying it. There's a goal to Christian fasting, and that goal is to long for Jesus, to grow our hunger for Jesus. Here's a third principle, a third truth that should radically transform the way we approach fasting. And this is it, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes your motivation for fasting. The gospel changes your motivation for fasting. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, back in chapter 6, In verses 17 and 18, Jesus rebuked the hypocrites. And what he rebukes them for is that they made a spectacle, a public spectacle of their spiritual discipline of fasting because they wanted to be seen by others. Just like they wanted to be heard by others when they prayed, and they wanted their money to be counted by others when they gave, they wanted to be seen as somber And they wanted to be seen as malnourished. They wanted it to be very clear that they were fasting. I guess so that everyone else could say, wow, look at that girl, right? Look at that dude. They would go out of their way to communicate to others what they were doing. But Jesus says, rather than making yourself look and sound like a moody teenage boy who missed lunch, Jesus says, instead, you should go out of your way to ensure that your fasting is done in secret between yourself and the Lord. And there's great reward for doing that. But coming back to Matthew 9, Jesus goes even deeper in helping us approach fasting with a new motivation. And he he does that by giving another odd parable. Now, fasting had been practiced by faithful Jews for centuries, Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God fasted in times of mourning, times of brokenness over sin, 
times when they were longing for some promised blessing from God or, or longing for the coming redemption of God in the midst of their despair. And when you read the arc of Scripture from beginning to end, we understand what the Old Testament people of God ultimately were longing for, what they ultimately fasted for. And we get a glimpse of it in verse 16. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Now, now we can understand this because has anyone tried on a great cotton shirt at the mall, and you love it, and you take it home, and you wash it? And then you just realize that you wasted $29.99 because it no longer fits. And so we understand that whenever you, <clears throat> whenever you wash a garment, it shrinks. And Jesus says, you don't put an unshrunk patch on a shrunk garment. Because what's going to happen is it's going to tear away once, once you wear it. Then he goes on to say, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. What is wine? What is wineskins? We don't have time to unpack all of this. Very specifically and very quickly, what Jesus is ultimately saying is that the old spiritual discipline practices that so many faithful religious Jews had practiced for so long, that's the old wineskins. And you don't put new wine, which is the new Christian fasting, just in those old wineskins. There's something new that I want you to do. I want you to keep doing what we've been doing. I want you to keep the practice, but I don't want you to do it with the same mindset. I don't want you to have the same motivation. This isn't just out of rote religious duty. This isn't just longing for something that you've never experienced before. It's quite the opposite. And what the whole arc of Scripture, I would argue, in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament people of God were longing for God, when they were mourning over their sin, when they were fasting for some spiritual promise from God, some spiritual provision from God, what they were ultimately longing for, what they were ultimately fasting for, was the fulfillment and experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is now saying, he is here. The gospel is here. And the gospel that has changed my disciples' lives, the gospel is now going to change their motivation for fasting. <clears throat> Christ followers don't practice the same old disciplines the same way. What Jesus wants to do is to breathe life into those, same, those old disciplines. He wants to breathe life into them and pointing us to what John Piper calls a new fasting, new wine, new fasting for new Christians. Our motivations change with faith in the gospel. Our approach shifts. Piper goes on to explain it this way. This is so helpful and it's so beautiful. He says, as Christians, we have tasted the powers of the age to come. And our fasting is not because we are hungry for something we haven't experienced, but because the new wine of Christ's presence is so real 
and so satisfying. We must have all that it is possible to have. The newness of our fasting is this. Its intensity comes not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by His Spirit and cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of joy arrives. So you see, if we are Christ followers, if we are in Christ, those who have been born again by His Spirit, we don't fast out of religious duty. And we don't fast because we're longing for something we've never experienced. We fast because we have experienced the satisfying allure of the gospel. We don't fast for something that we've never tasted. We fast because we have tasted it. We have tasted the gospel. We have tasted the goodness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And now we want it more and more until we know him completely on the day we see him face to face. You see, the gospel changes our motivation to fast. I think about when I travel overseas, and and especially as I've spent so much time in East Asia. Now, when you travel to East Asia, there are a lot of things about culture that are just very different than an American way of life. And nowhere is that embodied more clearly and more palpably felt than at the dinner table. Food is just different. The the Chinese use different oils. The Chinese use different ways in which to prepare food. And the food is great. And over the years, this very finicky boy has learned to love a lot of Chinese cuisine. There are even things that I go to in America at Chinese restaurants, and, and I just think, man, just to have it prepared the way they do in Beijing would be great today without the American twist. And so the, the East Asian Chinese way of food is not weird. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just very different. And when you've been raised in America with American taste buds, there are delicacies and there are meals, there are dishes that you just regularly consume and you can't wait for. Every time I spend two or three weeks in China, I cannot wait to return to America so that I can have a Chick-fil-A number three meal. 12 count with large fries and a sweet tea. That's my go-to meal. And as a matter of fact, in my regular day-to-day, week-to-week life, I probably have that meal at least, key words here, at least once a week. Who are you to judge, okay? Like, just (laughs) bear with me. And there are many things that I experience in Chinese culture I love. There are many dishes that I love. There are many dinners that I can't wait to experience when I'm there. But when I get in my alone time, and I've been there for five days, seven days, 12 days, 18 days, I will sit down and I am just longing for that number three. And oftentimes, Friends and I will talk in the airport, and, and we will say things like, so what's, what meal are you most looking forward to when you get home? And the reason I'm longing for it is because I've tasted it. 
The reason I'm longing for it is because of how great it sits on my taste buds. I love the feeling in my mouth. I love the taste that it brings to those buds. I, I, I love the, the swig of sweet tea as it's going down to wash it all away, right? I'm longing for that experience that I've had. And, and that's a glimpse. It's an imperfect glimpse. But it's a glimpse of what it's like for the Christ follower is that we have tasted the gospel. We have tasted the goodness of Jesus. And what oftentimes we need to do is we, we need to set aside time where, where I just get away from all the things of this life, the things that are even quite good in and of themselves, things that I even enjoy in those moments, but I know that that time with Jesus and that feasting on Jesus and that feasting on the hope of what's to come is better. It's not that the things that I experience on earth are all bad. It's just that they pale in comparison to the goodness and the purity of the gospel of Christ. So the gospel changes our motivation for fasting. Let me give you one more approach here about Christian fasting that I believe really has the ability to radically change our mindset about fasting. And I even think that this last principle has the ability to actually catapult every one of us in this room towards a discipline of fasting because it's very attainable for us. The gospel not only changes our motivation for fasting, the gospel also expands your modes of fasting. The gospel expands your modes of fasting. Now, you may be here today and you're thinking, Chris, I don't even know if my health will allow me to fast. Or, or Chris, I, I have the type of job that requires me to be with people around meals every day. And so I guess fasting is just something I can't do. So let's bring the scriptures to the 21st century and help us understand that fasting is more than simply refraining from food. I believe the gospel expands our modes of fasting to also include other pleasures of life. Decades ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones asserted this same expansion of the modes of fasting. He said this, fasting must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special, peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. This is not just something that I'm saying today. It's not just something that Lloyd-Jones and many other Christian writers would say today. There's actually a scriptural warrant for this type of expansion of fasting because it's not just food that we enjoy. It's not just food that consumes our taste buds or consumes our time and schedules. There are many different pleasures of life, aren't there? There are many things that we enjoy that if we're not careful, we will find greater enjoyment in those very good gifts from God than we do in the God who gave them to us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said this, Indeed, I count everything as loss. He doesn't just say, I count food as loss. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And do you see that phrase he uses, the word he uses? 
the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's not that so many other pleasures of life are bad. They are good gifts of God. It's just that knowing Jesus surpasses them all. And so it would make sense for the Christ follower that in specific seasons at predetermined times, we say that I am going to pass on these pleasures momentarily in order to feast on pleasure that is infinitely greater. He goes on to say, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, not just food, all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Luke chapter 8, in giving the parable of the sower, you remember this, we studied this not long ago. And Jesus said that as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So I would make an argument to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that fasting in the biblical gospel-centered sense has got to be more than just fasting from food. It could be fasting from a lot of things. What, what is it today that you look at your schedule that you give yourself to more than anything else? What is it in your, in your recreation that you cannot just think about going without? What is it that you, are just, you find so much pleasure in and you enjoy? Well, let's think about some of these things. It could be exercise. There are some of us who give an inordinate amount of attention to exercise. Perhaps a fast could be once a week. I'm not going to go to the gym during this one hour or two hour period of time. Instead, I'm going to go away in the quiet and I'm going to read and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to be with Jesus. It could be television. Boy, that's a tricky one. It could be screens. It could be your iPad, your iPhone. It could be your iMac or whatever device you use, YouTube, and giving minutes and hours and large parts of your day to pleasure on the screen. It could be video games. We don't even want to talk about that, do we, guys? It could be video games, the hours that we spend doing that. Um, For those of us who are married, it could even be sex. We see this in 1 Corinthians 7, that there, that there, is, there is physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. And, and, and we see that example in the scripture that for a predetermined time, it could be days, it could be for a couple of weeks, we intentionally say, we're not going to experience that together. Instead, we're going to tuck away during those times and spend time to refocus and cal- recalibrate our minds and our hearts towards Jesus it could be social media. I know really good friends who just go on social media fast. And it's not just for a day or two, but they will say, you know what, for the next month, I'm staying off of social media just to recalibrate my mind and just not have the, the daily bombardment of information. And instead of pursuing that, I'm going to clean my mind. I'm going to clear my mind out. And I'm going to meditate on scripture and I'm going to memorize this chapter of scripture Instead, And so the time that I would normally spend doing that, I'm going to fill my heart, I'm going to fill my mind with the things of Jesus. Now, I could go through more and more of these things. I'm not here to be prescriptive to you today and for you. Only you can determine those pleasures of your life that you find so much enjoyment in that if you were to go without them for a couple of hours or to go without them for a week or two or for a month, 
that you could say, that would be of great spiritual benefit for me if I would remove those things, but not just remove them, but then to replace them with a meditation on God, a meditation on the gospel, reading a Christian book, memorizing scripture, praying for the nations, praying for the advancement of the gospel among your family, among your friends, the gospel mission of our church. That's how we expand the modes of our fasting. And brothers and sisters, what that does for us is it makes fasting a discipline that is relevant and practical for every one of us in this room. Every one of us can fast. Every one of us should fast. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus says he expects us to fast. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this information today? I want to ask you two questions in response. As you respond today, I, I want to ask you this first one. Will you confess to God through prayer? Will you confess to God any wrong assumptions that you've had about fasting? Perhaps you thought it was for the elite SEAL Team 6 Christians. That was only something for the super serious followers of Jesus. This isn't something for everyday people like me. That could be your confusion. It could be that, that you've tried this before and you just simply abstain from food for a meal or for a day or for a couple of days and you saw no spiritual benefit, no physical benefit that came from that and you're just wondering, like, am I getting the equation wrong? You could even be in here today and you're thinking that because you give so much or because you pray so much or because you read so much or because you fast so much that those duties... Those things are actually buying you favor with God. But today, for the first time, you're hearing that we don't do spiritual disciplines in order, to be, in order to be obtained by God and to earn favor by God, but we do them because he's already obtained us through the power of the gospel. And now we do these things out of the power which he supplies and for the joy which he gives. So will you confess any wrong ideas any wrong assumptions, any misunderstandings that you've had about fasting. And then see yourself as a Christ follower who's empowered by the gospel to pursue this discipline. And so the second question I would ask you is this one. Will you commit to fast as an expression of the gospel working in your life? Will you commit to fast? You, you could go home this afternoon and think through what are those pleasures that it would mean something for me spiritually if I would cast those aside for a specific time and replace them with meditation on the things of God. You could go home this evening and, and, and you could notate those things and journal those things and then you could map out a plan to say, I'm going to do that during these hours on these days or for this period of time. And I'm going to do that regularly every month or so. Or every quarter or so. In order to recalibrate spiritually. To refocus and to make sure that I'm not loving the gifts of God. More than God himself. This morning I want us to see that fasting is not distinctly Christian. But there are principles and practices that make Christian fasting distinctly Christian. And they're gospel-empowered, and I hope that you've seen that today. I'm going to pray for us, 
And then we're going to have opportunity to respond to what Jesus has taught us through his word today. Father, you are good. And I confess in front of my people today that there are a host of lesser things than God that I have made in my heart greater than you. And I had not done those things by saying it, but I have functionally done it by the way I live my life. And so, Lord, I confess that. I confess that there are so many things on earth that I so long for and so want more than you. But, Lord, I also publicly confess in front of these people and you that I know in my heart that there is nothing on earth better than you. And so, Lord, I want to run towards the gospel today. I want to run towards Jesus today. And Jesus, I'm asking you to infuse my heart with your spirit and give me a desire, give me a motivation, give me a discipline to be more intentional in fasting in my own life. And I pray for my people today that they also would have that greater motivation, that greater discipline to fast and to feast on infinite pleasure. And then, Lord, maybe, just maybe, we would rightly feast on earthly pleasure. And Lord, I pray for that soul, that heart, that mind that's in the room right now who has not responded to the gospel and they have a wrong assumption about fasting as they may have a wrong assumption about a lot of things in your word. Lord, would you convict them today? Would you draw them today? Would you help them see the infinite matchless beauty of who Jesus is and what his gospel offers. And we pray today that lives would be changed in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.